Yep. That's I don't fine. mind. I don't mind whatever. Okay, so, um, well, I'll just, for my own sake, um, yeah. So, this feels, this feels The safe. moment you decide. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, uh, I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, always edit. <laughs> so, this feels terribly awkward, but, uh, all right, so the plan here is to host a podcast. Uh, we're calling this the History of Christian... No, wait, A History of Christian Theology. Um, yes. And uh, I tried to come up with more clever titles, but supposedly this is the best way uh, to get people to actually click on it, so we'll see. So, A History of Christian Theology. Um, I'm Chad Kim. We have uh, Trevor Adams and Tom Velasco. All right. Um, so Tom and I technically have recorded podcasts together before. Uh, we had someone else produce it, and we've never actually heard them. And they have never been put in the... Uh, wherever they go. <laughs> they, yeah. They've never been loaded onto iTunes, so I, I don't know. <laughs> They're not in the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, sure, in the internet realm. Yeah. So if we ever get those from your friend, uh, you know, there may be other podcasts. I guess, and you have done one other podcast, right, Mr. Tom? Actually, it was the same exact show, just, uh-huh. and which actually, that was loaded up. We actually put two episodes of our podcast called Wonder Quest on uh-huh. iTunes. So those exist. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's probably about five people who've listened to them, but they are actually out there. Um, so I guess which sort of brings us to uh, sort of introductions. So the, the plan here to, um, you know, this is just a, a getting, getting us off the ground podcast. Uh, we'll try to get right into the next one being um, a specific thinker, uh, theologian, Clement, um, Clement of Rome. And, um, but uh, yeah, so let's, Trevor, so, so, so say something about who you are, Trevor Adams, and, and why you, you're a part of this. Um, I'm a part of this because for some reason they thought I'd be fun to have on the show. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm a student of philosophy primarily, and uh, I'm studying philosophy, but uh, I'm a like, part-time theology nerd. So I hope to contribute, especially if the theologian happens to be a philosopher and where those crossovers are cool and unique to the theology involved so very good and uh, I'm Tom Velasco I studied philosophy and history at Boise State University Um, I the area of focus in my history degree was actually early church um, classical well but actually classical history a lot with an emphasis on early church um after graduating, I served as a middle school teacher at a classical and Christian uh, school in Boise called the Ambrose School. Uh, I worked there for six years before taking a position actually as an assistant pastor at a charismatic church here in the area uh, called Calvary Chapel, Boise. Uh, after after serving there for about six years, I went back to work at the Ambrose School where I met Chad and where we proceeded to have lots of different discussions and <laughs> uh, discovered our mutual love for theology. Uh, I would, like Trevor said, say that I also am a part-time theology nerd. I love to read theology uh, more than reading, and I like to think about it and to discuss it. And so this podcast really is just kind of the fruit of many a conversation. I would add that it might seem a little odd to do a history of Christian theology through a conversational uh, 
format. Yeah. But it makes sense given what we've done. I mean, yeah. just the conversations we've had. The idea here isn't to just didactically tell you the history of Christian theology. It's rather to kind of take a work and discuss it, talk about it, talk about its impact, what what it means uh, to the history of the church, what it's meant to Christians throughout the centuries, and what it means to us personally. So that's kind of, I think, what we're aiming to do here. Yeah, very good. So, uh, yeah, so I'm Chad Kim, uh, and all three of us did meet uh, at the Ambrose School, uh, but this is not a production of the Ambrose School. I don't know. Not at all. I don't even know if anybody here knows that we're doing this. Yeah, so I I don't want to indict them uh, in any of the the stuff that goes on here, any of the conversations that go on here. It's not endorsed uh, by by them. So uh, anything that we say is, you know, our own views and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Ambrose School, but we did all meet there. I should add, I mentioned a church, and this definitely does not reflect the church's views either. Uh, and they are in no, they're not, I'm sure they're not against this, but they're not in particular, uh, or they're not particularly endorsing it either or anything. So, um, so, yeah, so I've taught at the Ambrose School for four years where I met uh, Tom and uh, Trevor this year. Um, I uh, did my undergrad in philosophy and psychology, uh, and then I have a Master's of Divinity in Theology uh, from Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, so, um, And I'll be working on my dissertation in historical theology, um, studying primarily late antiquity. So, we'll And in see. case you weren't listening, that's why you should listen to this <laughs> podcast, because we do have somebody here who yeah. is bona fide that you should listen to. So Trevor and I take what we say and <laughs> do with it what you will. But I don't know if you heard that Chad studied theology at Princeton and is working on his PhD. That's so. cool that we all have undergrads in philosophy. I didn't that's realize true. that. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I think one thing, I mean, just to sort of... One thing that I think that we could bring to the conversation of theology in addition to uh, just discussing it, uh, philosophers and especially the kind of philosophy that we've all done is more in the analytic tradition, um, and it's helpful to clarify terms, um, to try to think through these things clearly um, and you know be precise uh, about what is being said. So I, I hope that as we read each one of these, we can say, well, what does he mean when he says, uh, <laughs> and then give some kind of a coherent account uh, so that it it's not just um, Christianese uh, or some kind of lingo uh, that ultimately has no referent, um, but we'll we'll see how well we do with that task. Uh, yeah. But that seems to be a special thing that philosophers can bring to the theological conversation. Yeah, especially when we disagree. <laughs> yeah, especially when we disagree. I, I should add that as analytic philosophers, it's not just helpful that we define terms. We do it ad nauseum. We do yeah. it. So we're going to do our best to do it in a way that really makes sense to everybody, but bear with us. We'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, and it could be that this is not, has a very has a very wide uh, listenership. We're doing this because we want to keep talking to each other about theology. Um, and so this, you know, this is a format that seemed fun for us. So, you know, if, if other people gather something from it, that's great. Um, if not, hopefully we've had some fun. Um, so uh, one other thing that, so we all sort of said something, you know, why you should listen to us, uh, what we want to do with this podcast. Maybe now a little question of scope. Um, so who are we looking to hit? Um, what is going to be our focus? Um, uh, so I'll just sort of open that up. Well, I'll just start off by saying something that 
Chad, you asked me, a co- uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. You said, so where should we start? Should we go all the way back to talking about the Apostle Paul and Peter and all of that? And my thought was, we don't want to spend a lot of time getting bogged down looking. I know that sounds terrible, bogged down. But getting bogged down in discussing the New Testament theologians. And the reason why I thought, I, I thought there were a lot of reasons why that would be important. But one of the biggest ones is I come from an evangel, evangelical background. And uh, in my background, and it's not just evangelicals. I mean, this seems to be a, a fairly common um, kind of line of thinking in the church. The New Testament, well, I think every Christian to some degree says the New Testament is in some way authoritative. There's disagreement about what that means for it to be authoritative and what that looks like. But we all think it's authoritative. And, of course, in my background, uh, we take that authority pretty, you know, pretty far. So uh, why I say that is because when we say that the New Testament means something or says something, uh, we are in essence saying this is the word of God and you have to believe it and you have to do what it says. So it seems to me that much of Christian theology since the first century really has been devoted to looking at what the early theologians, Peter, Paul, John, James, what they taught and trying to explain in a systematic and uh, consistent way what they mean. So I think a large part of the history of theology really is just explicating those theologians. If we go back and say, before we get into the history of theology, we're going to tell you what Peter taught. In effect, we're kind of taking a stand, so to speak, and kind of mm. making a statement about what what the New Testament says. Because it would be impossible for us to tell you what Peter thought or what Paul thought or what John thought without basically just giving you our theology, because that's more or less we're going to look back on it as an authority. Also, in all honesty, if we were going to be fair to Peter, Paul, and John, we could spend countless episodes devoting ourselves to studying them. So it seemed prudent to me to immediately jump beyond the apostles and to look at the earliest theologians of the post-apostolic era, and to kind of start looking at the conversation that Christians were having way back then. So that's that was kind of my suggestion, and I'll hand it over to these guys. Let them. Well, because also it seems like if we really, I guess, I mean, I guess Jesus could be the first yeah, theologian. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> go pre-Jesus, right? Go back yeah. to the old Jews. Well, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, Old for Testament. That, for that matter, yeah, Christian theology would, yeah, even yeah. be affected by, by them. So, yeah, I guess we got to gotta start somewhere <laughs> yeah so the gotta start somewhere is a big one uh and uh our first the first theologian we want to look at is clement um and you know one i guess one thing even as as we talk about this uh there there's something of a conversation of what is a theologian so you know we, we mentioned the word apostle so post apostolic era and we're looking at who are these theologians so we're going to do the history of christian theology theologian by theologian as best we can. Um, we're always going to run into this concern about time. Um, so multiple episodes. I'm sure, you know, given Augustine uh, or Augustine, uh, we're going to run into the question of number of episodes, um, Aquinas, you know, these people who are going to require multiple episodes. So we will always have that concern. But we do want to look at each 
theologian. Um, and so the focus is going to be who is a theologian um, and uh, look at what they have to say and how does that contribute uh, to the development of a distinctly Christian uh, theology. So, um, you know, we're not going to be concerned with Jewish theology primarily. We're not going to be concerned with, you know, sort of Greco-Roman mythology and theologizing, mm-hmm. um, uh, but rather Christian, distinctly Christian right. theology. Yeah. And this is not to say, by the way, that Jewish theology or uh, Hindu theology or Buddhist theology, it's not to say that none of them have nothing to say to this issue or nothing to say to this topic. We're not uh, specifically trying to exclude their conversation. We are saying that this is specifically uh, a focus on Christian theology. That's all. Uh, Let me clarify something for our listeners who no doubt are confused by the fact that Chad just said Augustine, uh, Augustine. Um, For those of you guys who don't know, (laughs) there is an ongoing debate about whether to pronounce uh, Augustine's name is Augustine or is Augustine. Uh, for whatever reason, Chad is probably the only person I've ever known who pronounces it both ways. And so when he discusses Augustine, just be aware that he sometimes flips back and forth and often immediately after, just, I guess, to make sure that all of you know who he's talking about. <laughs> I say Augustine. You say Augustine? I didn't know. Yeah. What do you, what do you typically say, though? Uh, I don't he even literally know. says both <laughs> almost every time. He'll what what I've noticed is when I first met him, he always said Augustine, and then he switched to Augustine, and then it became Augustine Augustine, uh, or or he'll say Augustine as many call him Augustine, or he'll sometimes go Augustine and go, or as most of you say Augustine or something like that. <laughs> well, I, you know, the one other one I could come up with was well, we don't ever say Constantine. Uh, yes. And we do say Constantine. Yes. Uh, so why not Augustine? It seems like that that uh, argument kind of won you over. That yeah. seemed to be a that seemed to matter to you. Which that actually I, I already called him Augustine. So yeah. that was uh, it, it. Seemed to me that well, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> well, I was going to say Augustine seems to be kind of a pretentious way to say it. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like the people I studied with, uh, please, if you call him Augustine, do not take it personally. For instance, Trevor, yeah. don't take it personally. I just always felt at school that it was us lowbrow, uneducated types who said Augustine, and there were these <laughs> other guys who were like, it's Augustine. It's Augustine. <laughs> He's one. the August one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how they said it at, the, at BSU when I was in medieval philosophy. I remember. Augustine. They always said Augustine. So uh-huh. I yeah. just picked, that's where I picked it up. Yeah, a lot of people do. I, I personally, I actually think the name Augustine sounds more. Augustine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds kind of cooler. More regal. Yeah, more regal. Yeah. So, yeah, we, you know, we, we can debate this ad nauseum. Yes, we don't want but, to do that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, um, so we're going to consider, like I said, Clement. And one thing about Uh, So Clement, uh, not an apostle in the sense that not sent out from Jesus, right? So we have, you know, the disciples after their ministry with Jesus get sent out, uh, the Greek root there, apostolo, to send away. Um, So uh, they were not sent out ones. Uh, And Paul counts himself among the apostles, one of the peculiar ones who is not a disciple uh, yet, you know, is, is an apostle. I presumably, in this case, it has to do with seeing the resurrected Jesus um, and then being sent out uh, to proclaim uh, the gospel. Um, all of these things being terms that hopefully will come to define. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this is apostle. And then theologian, uh, one who, you know, from the Greek being one who th- 
the study of God um, and one who is studying God. And and so, you know, maybe each one of you could give a thought, what to you is the study of theology? So when you think, when you hear someone say, you know, so-and-so is a theologian, uh, what, is, what is it that they're up to? I th- Well, there's definitely a practical aspect. There's There's a lot of, you know, how should we... Uh, live as Christians, which I think can arguably be a bit of theology. Uh-huh. And then you have, you probably have another category for just um, how to look at the specific reve- like text that you think revealed your religion and, mm-hmm. you know, um, what doctrines you think you should glean out of it. But I, at least personally, since I am just mostly a philosopher when I first think of theology I do think of philosophical theology or philosophy of religion basically so I think of the concept of God and you know arguing about like what he can do and what he knows and whether he even has beliefs or things like that or to me that's kind of like studying God proper but um, so that really makes me think of theology since it literally is just studying God, God alone. But but obviously, yeah, I think broadly there's all those other issues, especially within Christian theology. But Well, I don't remember if you've said it, but strictly speaking, theology just means the study of God or the knowledge of God or something along those lines. So in a, in a sense, anybody who gives any thought to God or contemplates um, his attributes or truths about him or... Uh, something along those lines could be considered a theologian in a sense. So in a sense, I mean, there are countless people, I'm sure, uh, just scattered all over the United States and, well, all over the world, Mexico, Canada, I mean, you name it, who could be considered theologians, uh, certainly professionally and uh, as amateurs. Um, When I think of theology, though, as a discipline, uh, I can't help but kind of approaching it sort of, as Trevor said there, as a philosopher, because I studied philosophy, we all did, as has been stated already. But when I think of philosophy, I think specifically the the goal of the philosopher is to chase after knowledge, to chase after understanding, and to do so essentially as to the best of his ability by emptying himself of presumptions and assumptions, to really try to imagine what could possibly be true given whatever is available to him? Like using all means to arrive at truth. Theology, as a discipline to me, seems to differ fundamentally in one major way. And that is that theology does not, or, or let me put it this way, the theologian does not empty his mind of, of presuppositions. He actually embraces a presupposition. And that is a presupposition of authority. Um, and this is, of course, a huge debate within the Christian church. We're going to talk about it a lot. What constitutes authority? A contemporary fundamentalist is going to say the Bible itself as we have it. Uh, I mean, if you want to take it to an extreme, I mean, you have groups who say it's not the Bible. It's the King James Bible or whatever. Uh, a Roman Catholic, of course, is going to have a completely different spin on authority. He's going to look at, uh, obviously, the Bible as one of the authorities, but also mm-hmm the teachings of church tradition. Uh, He's going to consider papal authority, uh, ecumenical councils. There are a lot of things that to him constitute authority. But here's the big, here's here's fundamentally what, what all Christians, regardless of what tradition you come from, have in common. We believe that God revealed certain things. 
And so it seems to me the task of the theologian to explore that revealed material and arrive at conclusions. So he differs from the philosopher in that the philosopher doesn't want to look at revelation. He wants to look at what is naturally given to us. The theologian says, what is written? Yeah, and so one reason to move past right away from Paul into Clement, and we'll talk about this some hopefully in the next podcast, but is this uh, issue of the fact that Paul is part of what is considered revelation. Um, so um, I'll, I'll take maybe a lower view of Scripture than some here and say that, you know, I believe that Paul was doing thinking um, and he was thinking through things as he wrote. Uh, so he might, you know, you could say that he is doing theology. He is thinking about God and he's thinking about revelation uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, but since he is part of the canon as considered by the writer of Second Peter, be it uh, Peter the disciple or not, you know, theologians and biblical studies, uh, people will have their questions. Uh, how, yet, within that period, Paul is already being considered part of Scripture. So we will leave him aside and uh, as a theologian primarily um, and think of him as revealed Scripture, as part of the way in which um, God is revealing who he is uh, to, well... <laughs> And, and I guess this brings up another question, who he is, who God is. Um, we will probably resort to masculine pronouns for God. Um, I, I, at Princeton, I was supposed to always correct myself um, and use uh, gender-neutral pronouns. Um, the theologians we're going to be reading uh, for most of history uh, will always refer to God in the masculine. Um, so forgive me for doing that already uh, I will try to be somewhat gender neutral as I can but sometimes it still slips in um, so I, I think this is actually a good moment to kind of really explain where we're coming from because I think a lot of people would be listening and, and confused so for instance if you are an evangelical and you're listening to this you're going to say well I'm just going to turn this off because the moment anybody says gender neutral pronouns that automatically means to you that this is just heresy, turning it off. Uh, if you come from a more liberal tradition, then you're going to listen to this and say, I can't believe this guy feels he needs to justify the use of gender-neutral pronouns. This is terrible. This guy is a bigot and, well, bigot maybe not, he's a misogynist. I'm going to turn it off. So, so, so let's actually go ahead and give a little bit of a theological background. First of all, let me just start off by saying that there is diversity in this room. Uh, let me also say that there is not as much diversity, I think, as probably a lot of people would like. Um, we, but we do have varied opinions on this. So is that okay with you guys? So I think I'll just start off kind of just giving my, as best I can, it's impossible to pigeonhole yourself. Uh, we are human beings with nuanced views. So I'll just kind of tell everybody where I'm coming from. I've already said that I used to be a pastor at a charismatic church which might surprise a lot of people to think of a pastor at a charismatic church, first of all, um, having a philosophy degree, and second of all, uh, being willing to sit down in a room with a guy with a, an MDiv from Princeton. Um, so, you know, I'd like to point out that I probably am not your traditional pastor from a charismatic church, but at the same time, I am broadly evangelical. I... I mm typically embrace what people would think of as evangelical doctrines. I don't feel uncomfortable at all using um, the masculine pronoun to speak about God. In fact, I could see myself having a conversation with Chad in which I argued that the masculine pronoun is indeed the proper pronoun to speak of God. At the same time, 
I feel really comfortable having conversations with people who, with Christians, with believers who have different views on some of these things than I do. Um, my view of Scripture, uh, I take a, a view of Scripture that a lot of evangelicals would not feel comfortable with, um, but I'm just going to kind of put it out there. I do, I, I let me put it so I think I believe that Scripture is inerrant. <laughs> and I say that because I have read the Bible, and I don't feel comfortable when the Bible has what appear to be tensions and potential contradictions and things of that nature, just saying, oh, well, obviously this can be reconciled by, and then throw in some straw man explanation for how these passages can be can be reconciled. Ad hoc explanation. Yeah, yeah ad, well, certainly ad hoc. But the thing is, is that I, I, I see problems in taking the text as just being inerrant at the same time. As I've told Chad, I take inerrancy as a faith position. And my reason essentially is this, is that early in my perusal of Scripture, I came across all sorts of passages that I thought, by looking at them, seemed to contradict. But after reading and reading and learning more about the Scripture, I found reconciliation, I think genuine reconciliations, not just these these chimera that I create to make sense out of out of a couple of passages of Bible. I mean, genuine genuine reconciliations that made me completely understand that I'd been reading the Bible all wrong, right? And actually created this enormous freeing of my mind and helping me to understand what the Bible originally meant. So, so it has been incredibly beneficial to me, pragmatic, if you will, uh, to embrace inerrancy as a faith position. I embrace it at the same time. I recognize it has its problems there are holes in it, and I'm certainly willing to kind of have an open discussion with other believers about uh, the nature of authority, the nature of the Bible. Uh, what what does it need to be inerrant? Uh, you know, there's different views of what inerrancy is, infallibility, all that kind of stuff. So more or less, uh, I would say I'm broadly evangelical, but I am very open to, I think, scholarship and to discussion and to what other people have to say. And I certainly am not going to be the kind of guy who's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, that guy's a liberal. I'm not going to listen to what he has to say. That's just not going to happen. So all that to say from my side, I think if you're an evangelical, listen, because we are going to be looking at what evangelical, we're going to be looking, first of all, at theologians who are evangelical, and we're going to have an evangelical voice in here. Or voices. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to have evangelical voices. At the same time, uh, at the same time, uh, if you're a liberal, I think that there are things that we have to say to you as well. I don't think that this is one of those things where, I mean, I think we're going to approach this in a fair-minded way without just being dogmatic and saying you're stupid or you're a heretic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I grew up going to a Calvary. Um, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I didn't even go to another church. I mean, I visited other churches, but... I went to Calvary from as early as I can remember till 18 years old. And then at 18, I think, I still went to Calvary sometimes. In general, I just started going to just non-denoms, just kind of wherever I wanted to go. I didn't feel dedicated, and I didn't uh, have a high... I didn't have a stance on, like, being a member. I didn't, I didn't think you need to be a member of a church or anything like that. And then... Um, 
You actually uh, baptized yourself, right? I, I did baptize You did? Wow. Yeah. We should throw in. <laughs> there are a number of you come from a liturgical background yeah. who are walking away right now. <laughs> come back. So, well, and the funny thing is, and this, you know, how that story came up is I was just in an Episcopal service, uh, and it was the... The Pentecost, it was Pentecost Sunday, this, yeah, last Sunday, and uh, yeah, and then they sprinkled people with water, and you could say, you could, you're supposed to be re-saying your vows, yeah. vows I had actually never said, <laughs> but I went, and uh, and I was like, oh, that, and I made a joke, like, that was the most, uh, that was the most official baptism I've ever gotten, or something like that, to my wife, and she's like, that was not a baptism, and so she, and she was Catholic, by the way, she was raised catholic and then she went evangelical during high school and um so i i laughed because yeah i don't really have a high theology but i also have no theology on this issue i should say i have no suppositions i probably have the least amount of suppositions in this room i have no idea where i'm at i'm like really searching i definitely don't like kind of how i think i was raised at least personally it's more of a i guess it's more of a not a shout out to my family but more of like a I don't know, particular pastors, particular people who I I uh, interacted with. I didn't really uh, agree with those doctrines later on. So I'm just still searching. I've actually, yeah, funny enough, more recently gone to an Episcopal church with Chad here. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know what I believe, honestly. So, I mean, I... I so Well, not so that everyone's running away, um, but I am like... You know, I hold on to, I guess, what would be traditionally called orthodoxy. And I believe, at minimum, what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity. Just the basics of Christianity. I mean, I obviously hold on to all those things. But, I, you know, complementarian or egalitarian, I don't know. You know, I'm like, it's it's hard for me to say. I'm, like, is it all the specific individual issues, I'm not, I'm not really decided, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, so, and Trevor brought up a word that will come up a lot quickly, uh, orthodoxy, right? So correct thinking, straight thinking, uh, being the Greek roots there. Um, So uh, part of this podcast, um, our focus is going to be on what the church has generally considered orthodox theologians. So that's not to say that we won't mention what are called heretical theologians or heretical thinkers, uh, usually we will be saying, all right, so uh, here's Pelagius, heretic, and here is Augustine, orthodox. This is not meant to be pejorative or demeaning. It's just what the church has said these people are. Uh, And this is kind of small c church, um, you know, generally, uh, you know, Gnostics, heretics. Um, So if we look at Marcion uh, or uh, other Gnostic thinkers, uh, we'll say, you know, we'll consider them as secondary to the Orthodox theologian who may be responding to them, uh, which, you know, Gnosticism will come up right away. um, And this question of authority. Um, So, you know, generally Christians have to uh, subsume themselves under an authority, as we talked about, as part of the project of theology. Um, you, we are inter- engaging scripture um, and engaging this tradition um, to, to various degrees, the evangelicals, the undecideds. And my background, uh, I was raised uh, Southern Baptist and went to a Presbyterian seminary, um, a 
traditionally PCUSA, uh, Presbyterian Church USA. I don't really want to get into the denominational distinctives, but the more liberal branch of Presbyterian, uh, while um, at the same time becoming Episcopalian. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm confirmed in the Episcopal Church. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm the resident liberal. Um, and uh, as things go, um, I was probably fairly conservative at Princeton, um, but I am a flaming liberal uh, here in, <laughs> in Idaho. Um, in so, Idaho. Thank you for throwing that. <laughs> um, so, um, but hopefully, as Tom said, um, so I think we'll, we'll kind of try to wrap things up here a little bit, um, but uh, hopefully that'll give you a flavor of the way that we want to carry out this conversation, um, which is defining terms trying not to be too heady, uh, being careful to uh, make sure that, that, that it's understood what we're talking about um, and not, you know, I'm, I'm not just trying to show you that I can use a big word, uh, but, but hopefully it's ex- uh, explanatory. Um, we will, you know, consider things from various perspectives, um, not usually in anger. None of us are very angry people. Um, so if we disagree, it'll be a conversation, why this, what about this, and then moving on, um, and so the and one major question and consideration we've talked about um, scripture. What is scripture? Um, apostolic authority um, and authority generally considered um, orthodoxy. Uh, orthodoxy. Yeah. All of those issues are. F- uh, fundamental uh, to the study of early Christian theology. Uh, they'll all be engaging those topics. So if we ju- we'll ju- be jumping into Clement uh, next week, as I've teased several times, um, a successor to Peter in Rome, um, and, um, and we will be considering roughly all of those things a little bit. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of, I think we can kind of leave it at that. Any, any last uh, comments? I think the only thing I would want to kind of uh, emphasize something you really already alluded to, Chad, but just really wanting to drive home that uh, that orthodoxy, as we were using that term, is not meant to be this statement of this is what's right and that is what's wrong. We really do look at this as a conversation that has unfolded throughout history, and we are the products, more or less, of this conversation. And we want to keep the conversation going. Uh, I feel like in my own personal life experience, I have gotten caught up so much in debates, not not just a debate between myself and somebody else, but like these debates that are much bigger than I am and where what is really hanging in the balance is a person's soul. And people fight and kick and scratch and bite and yell and say horrible things. And, and it's all about who's going to hell. And, and I feel like a lot of Christian theology has been that. We're trying to sit here and take a step back and say, what actually has happened in this history of Christian theology? What have people been talking about? Why have they been talking about it? Why did they uh, arrive at the conclusions they came at? And then while we do that, we, of course, are going to be engaging the material ourselves. We're going to be arguing with it, so to speak. 
So yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, to, it's a good, it's a helpful point. Yeah, orthodoxy being just taking a label that's been historically given, whether fairly or unfairly, we could sort of have hash that out a little bit. But I will just use them. Yeah, not in derisive ways. Not saying that necessarily Pelagius is consigned to eternal hellfire and damnation um, <laughs> necessarily. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but but more just as you know, that's that's what the church has said. Um, so. Um, I thank you for listening to this uh, first edition of the History of Christian Theology. Uh, I hope that uh, there will be threads of conversation that uh, this will start for you and for other people uh, who you chat with. Um, We'll be looking for various ways to get this out, uh, disseminated, um, and see if we can get uh, anybody listening. Uh, And I hope to open up a a blog at some point um, where we can keep this conversation going a little bit and tease future thinkers um, that's it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Cool.